Uh-uh. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> but yeah, no, I need to check myself. I need to be mean as a bitch. I just need to like, like because they can handle it. You know, I think it's because I think I'm like empathetic, but I'm not as empathetic as I tell myself I'm empathetic, but I'm not that empathetic. Like I do genuinely care, but like not that much, you know. Welcome to my podcast. You are listening to another episode of Leave Me Alone. I am your host, Elena Bamfield. On this week's episode, I have a guest for you guys. My friend Brett Hayden came in all the way from Ann Arbor to be on the podcast. Um, very funny stand-up comedian. He's done a, a lot of cool things. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. Normally, this is the part of the pod where I plug people's social media, uh, but Brett is currently off of social medias, so I will... I will stand in, and if I hear of anything that Brett Hayden is doing that is cool, I, I'll i just start posting about it. So you guys can hear about all things Brett Hayden over on my Instagram. Um, but without further ado, here's the episode. Bottom, but you're uh, Brett, no socials Hayden right now. Yeah. Why did you, why did you leave social media? Uh, I got off just because every time I logged into it, I'd get mad. Yeah. Just, that's that's basically it. And also, I don't think you can use social media effectively right now for like marketing yourself as a comedian, but I think to take this time during COVID to try to grow as a person, I don't think looking at it all day is going to do that. Yeah. So, for me just I already know going into it, I'm going to s- come across a post that's going to make me mad and then I'm going to think about it too much, so I just just choose to not just look at anything. Rid of it, yeah. yeah. Um, have you been doing you have have you been doing any show like shows or mics? You're pretty you're pretty far into comedy, right? You're like what six plus years? I started in the end of 2013, so yeah, we're coming up on eight years in yeah. October. Yeah. yeah, so like, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're at, like the point where like maybe like, because I'm at the point where I'm like just trying to hit as many mics as possible to feel like comfortable on stage. That's like what I'm worried about the most, um, as far as comedy is concerned right now, um. But, like, I feel like you eventually get to a certain point where, like, you're, like, comfortable on stage and you benefit more from maybe, like, I don't know, staying in and, like, writing instead of, like, yeah, filling I your entire week <laughs> with hour-long drives. Yeah, I feel like I kind of, I mean, I don't want to harp on that stupid hustle article, but <laughs> that thing was dumb. Or just the reaction to it was. Yeah. But I think... When you're new, you have to work harder than everyone else, sort of as a default. But by work harder, that just means uh, you're competing with other unknown comedians for stage time. And you have to be humble enough to realize you don't get... No one's entitled to stage time in general, but when you're that new and that inexperience you really kind of just have to do as many shows as you can starting out just to get your footing but also people say uh work smarter not harder well you do both when you start because working smarter is doing every show you can possibly do figuring out which ones you like which ones you're actually getting something out of and then the working smarter is is like taking that time to figure that out so that when you're a few years in down the line, you know, oh, I know that this is a good show. This one's worth my time. This one, uh, it's, you know, I'm spending all this money on gas and I'm not really getting anything out of it. I'm not growing. Yeah. But, and I think this idea of just uh, 
you know, doing the same show. It's not so much doing the same shows as an issue, but doing a lot of people do the same material at the same shows mm-hmm. for no real reason than, I guess, to just learn how to uh, get comfortable on stage, maybe. But at a certain point, I think I just realized uh, I know what's what rooms I'm going to get something out of. And it's not that I'm not above working harder. It's just I know now that I can there are certain places I can work out new material that if it doesn't work out, I know where I need to improve. And then if it does really well there, I know it's finished. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel it, too. I feel it. I mean, I'm like. I don't know, COVID year into comedy, and there's definitely a couple of places that I'm like, I won't go there again. You know, like, you know, I'm like, this is just not getting really anything out of it. Um, when did you start feeling like comfortable on stage? That's something that I'm like always interested in because I admire you as a comedian. I haven't seen you a ton like doing stand up, but I've seen you at like Max, and I w- you know, I'm impressed. Uh, but like, when did you start like feeling comfortable? Because for me, right before the pandemic hit, I was like four or five months into comedy and I felt like I was like finally riding the bike without training wheels a little bit and starting to get comfortable. And then I kind of just, some uh, COVID pushed me off. But um, so like that's something I've been struggling with is like, how do you, like when did you start feeling comfortable, do you think? Oh, I still don't. You it still don't? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, okay. The most comfortable I am, weirdly enough, is when it's a packed house at a club. I okay. don't I don't feel any pressure because there's enough people in that room more often than not that will like everything I have to say. Yeah. Uh it's easier to make 100 people laugh than it is to make 10 because, you know, 100 people feels like a show, 10 people feels like an AA meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and you also do feel that pressure too is like they as an audience feel pressure because if they look around and they see they're the only ones in the crowd, then they start to kind of feel like they have to be a good audience instead of just organically a hundred people. There's enough people in the room. If you didn't like something, you can be honest. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes when it's, you know, five to 10 people in the audience, they almost feel obligated to be good audience members, which is nice, but the feedback isn't. It's like pity laughs sort of. Almost. Yeah. 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 I feel it too. Like um, in a little bit of a different sense, but like, I like it when it's like a packed house because I'm like, Oh, I'm like, performing i'm like doing stand-up comedy for like strangers you know and like i i go to a lot of shows that that are fun to go to but it's like most most of the crowd is comedians and i'm like this is a pretty apathetic crowd like (laughs) to perform in front of and i just spent two hours of my time you know getting here and paying for gas and all that stuff so i definitely feel that um uh you have performed with open for um some pretty big name comedians uh when they came to michigan like one of them i'm really interested in talking to you about is mark normand and how that experience was for you uh interesting story how that happened (laughs) uh he had a weekend at one of the clubs in town and he flew in a day early because someone uh who lives in uh, i think he lives in lansing okay it's my friend his name's uh trent he uh he runs a thing. His wife, uh, I, I actually, I don't want to mis like misspeak. So Trent, <laughs> if you're listening, my bad. Uh, <laughs> his wife uh, had breast cancer. I think it came back. I don't know the status on it right now. Okay. Um. So they have a comedy for cancer type deal. Uh, Mark flew in a day early because it's Trent's favorite comic. Okay. 
and uh, there's a venue up in Chessening, Michigan, and a friend of mine, Carl Johnson, got asked. Oh, mutual friend Carl. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you two uh, became friends. Yes, me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he got asked to do it because the guy who runs the venue said, Carl, you're my favorite host that I've had here. I'd like you to host the show or just open. Yeah. And Carl, uh, they asked another comic, Wes Ward, to be on the show too. And they kind of were doing that thing where they're like, I don't want to host. Do you want to host? I don't want to host. Do you want to host? Yeah. And <laughs> before they had too much time to really get into it, I was like, I'll do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, my head, I was like, as long as I get to work with Mark, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, Fuck yeah. So I reached out to Carl and I said, hey, how, do th how would you feel if, they, uh, if you guys asked if you could bring me along to MC? And they asked. He said, sure. So I did the show. Uh, Mark saw it. We became friends. And then uh, the next night I did a guest set for, uh, at his show at uh, the Comedy Castle. And then, then on, I think I worked with him. Yeah, I worked with him one, two, three, four, four or five months later at the uh, showcase in Ann Arbor. And uh, that's when we actually like, it was like, okay, we exchanged numbers, started following each other on social media. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's been cool. I've worked with him uh, two other times. And then I did a guest set or when he's in town, I do sometimes do guest sets, which I found out. I will not be anymore. It's nothing against uh we we're not con or like arguing as friends or anything. He just yeah. has it in his contract now that there's no guest sets. Oh, I see. So. I see. Damn, that's so fucking cool, dude. Like that is so cool. How did you, so like how do you calm your like how do you calm your nerves for that? Like what do you do to like calm yourself down before going on stage for like I would I would just be fangirling i feel like it um well it's funny because i actually wasn't sure if he was actually gonna be there what and do you mean well what i mean is like <laughs> i thought it was gonna be one of those things where like uh okay the name says mark norman there's a picture of him but he's never gonna show up in this middle of nowhere town in michigan yeah that's what i thought yeah because i thought it was gonna be one of those cases where that they thought it was mark norman and then they say introducing your headliner uh matt normandy or something yeah <laughs> and uh i'm just kind of sitting in the green room just like all right just kind of waiting and then you know even walking into the green room he's still very much hey hey comedy <laughs> and uh, i was like oh there he is and i didn't i didn't fanboy or anything i just said shook his hand nice to meet you and then it was uh when i brought him up and then I snuck in that he's my favorite comedian and why I like doing this. Yeah. And then that's when he was just like, ah, give the kid a hand. Uh, blah, whatever. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think he's I think he, that's when he like realized it because I was kind of quiet in the green room. Everybody else was super talkative. Yeah. So I kind of my fanboy moment happened like when I introduced him because I knew all his credits. So he knew I was a fan. Yeah. 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 That's probably the coolest way to do it, too. Like, honestly, like, if you're like thinking from like a celebrity's perspective and like how you would want like, I don't know, a fan to be, you know, like and yeah. especially one that you're like working with. Um, that, that's probably yeah, the coolest way you could have done it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't I'm not as smooth as some people make me out to be. But that was one time where I was like, OK, I think I did that one right. Yeah. Yeah. When you needed to. Yeah. So <laughs> now you're friends with Mark Norman. That's fucking awesome. Uh, so. 
Okay, and I want. I also want to talk about Comedy Rumble, um, because that's something that I did, and that's probably the first my first like introduction to you, which isn't really an introduction because you know the like the star of Comedy Rumble is like the comedians that are going up or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like, where did that idea come from? How long have you been doing that? I started it in December 2017. It started because a uh, a few comedians were complaining. It's like. You know, when Christmas time comes around, we uh we all kind of just go do our own thing. We never really hang out. So I made it. I, it started originally as like an idea, of just getting comics to hang out. And uh, I was like, well, how do I turn? You know, if if there's a show, that'll bring comedians together to hang out. How do I make it happen? Yeah. And I was already a wrestling fan, so I figured a way to merge <laughs> wrestling and comedy. It's basically the same thematic idea as like a wrestling event that exists, but like it's just in the form of stand up. Okay. So we do the show. Uh and I'm like, it's great. There's so many comedians here. And then the second the show's over, everybody's just like, is there another mic in town? Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. 95% of them leave immediately, and I was just like, okay, well, the idea to make it a Christmas party didn't work, but uh, that was fun. We should do it again. And yeah. then I started just doing it every three months, so it didn't overstay its welcome. And then uh, eventually, when the venue I used to do it at, uh, Sellerman's, uh, which, shout out to uh, Alex Bozanovic for uh, letting me do that. Uh, yeah, I... Talked to Roger at the showcase because Sellerman shut down, and I told him the idea for the show, and he was just like, uh, yeah, we can just swap out the open mic once every three months for it. So Hell yeah. And I kind of thought it was like, it didn't register at the time, but when I realized when we got it into clubs, it became more important to take the show more seriously just because, th you know, the clubs are hard to get into, like the two major ones at yeah. least. So if, like... The idea was just like, okay, let's just try to get people at least. I can't promise like anything's going to come of those shows for anybody, but if people can at least get seen at clubs or get an idea of what like being in a club is yeah. like, you know, maybe that'll like encourage them to like either work harder to get seen at those clubs or get an idea of maybe what that atmosphere is like instead of the usual shitty dive bar where people are you know just yelling at you and just being dicks yeah no it was time. so it was so much fun and that was uh i think i did the first one i did was the like uh it was the like it was around christmas but it was like uh comedy rumble nine ladies dancing or whatever um yeah. and that was the first uh that was the first time i'd been in a comedy club or like performed on a comedy club stage and like oh it was i loved it it was so fucking cool just being in there was so cool uh but the thing i loved that I think is cool about Comedy Rumble. Um, I struggle with writing, like, because Comedy Rumble, for the listeners that don't know, um, it's 30 comedians, they each get 90 seconds, um, and they're judged by both the audience and a panel of judges, correct? Yeah, usually comedians. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, like, a second round, and there's a prize. Um, there's a cash prize at the end of it. But um, but having 90 seconds to tell a joke, um, you really, like, have to, like, cut the fat out of, like, what you're saying. And uh, specifically when you did the quarantine comedy rumbles where you're, like, submitting written jokes. Uh, yeah. That, like, changed the way I thought about writing. Like, I'm not, I'm not even blowing smoke up oh. your ass. Like, because you have to, like, nice. break it down into, like, because I have, like, very 
Like, I, like, made me look at my jokes, and I'm like, wow, this is really fucking drawn out for no reason. Yeah, and, and I didn't want people, like, when I, because I, if people ask me about the show, I try to encourage them. It's like, it's, because there's people who are long-form joke tellers, and they say, I would sign up for that show, but I wouldn't be good at it. I don't think people, I really don't want people to assume that, like, if you are bad at Comedy Rumble, you're a bad comic, but I do want people to understand it's like, you know, not every opportunity you get in stand up, you're going to get, you know, 10 minutes to prove yourself. Yeah. Sometimes you really are going to be on the spot and you have to give everything you got in a very short amount of time. So you kind of have to rise to the occasion. And it's kind of fun to see that sense of urgency sometimes yeah. because I think the audience feels it, too, because like part of the fun is them just watching someone. It's like, all right, who's going to figure it out sooner? Yeah. So to speak. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and it, like, really helps you, like, uh, even, like, if, because, yeah, people like to tell, like, long-form, like, s like storytelling-type jokes, and uh, and they're good at it, and it's entertaining, and it's, I like watching, like, like the Theo Vons and, like, people like that. Yeah. Uh, but it, like, at least for me, it, like, helped me find what the funny part of my joke was. Because, like, because for me, being a new newer comic, like, all the, like, long-winded shit is just shit I'm putting in there because I don't think it's funny enough, you know? Right. And, uh... So, yeah, that really helped me. And it's also just fucking fun, too, to just, like, be with a bunch of other people um, that are comedians and that are happy about what they're doing. And uh, it's not, I don't know, it's it's not an open mic, that's for sure. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> um, is that any word on that coming back anytime soon? I get asked about it periodically. I also deactivated the uh, Instagram for that because I get a lot of weird DMs from people who assume everything's open right now. Oh, my so God. So they're just like, they don't even know what the show is about or, like, what the theme is or anything like that. And they're just like, hey, can I get a spot? And just, like, that's the whole message. Yeah, these new, like, breed of quarantine open micers that have been birthed <laughs> from COVID. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of new shows running by them, though, so I, I'm thankful for that. I haven't really been to any that are run by... I say new open micers, like I'm not a new open micer, but uh, specifically the people that started like during the after this like second shutdown. Yeah. Um, a lot of them running shows, and I'm excited to see how that goes for them because yeah. I tried to run a show at Ellison. Uh, granted, it was shut down because of the pandemic, not because of my inability to run it. Uh, but I have a co-host, Ben Kirsch, and uh, it's fucking nerve wracking. Like. It, it's nerve-wracking to to think about hosting a show every week. Um, how, I don't know, you. how many shows do you even produce? You've got 313, um, right? Or are, you, are you still involved in that? Not really. Not really? Like, I, like I'm, technically, I own 25% of it. Like, the paperwork is there. Yeah. But I, there's probably, when things open up, I'll probably disband. Nothing against them. It's just, my, I, I'm not there every week. They are. Yeah. And that's mostly because they're pretty local you know ann arbor's not too far from detroit but i just wasn't there consistently enough that i felt like when people would ask me about 313 i had any good answers for them yeah so yeah. and i used to commit to being there every week but i was just kind of burned out by sunday because usually yeah. i would do like weekend work and then just that i would only go to 313 either to hang out or if i absolutely needed to work on something yeah but generally speaking between kyle brett EJ and Joanna, I feel like, you know, enough of them are there. Yeah. They can they can handle that show just fine without me. Yeah. Because so. um, you, I mean, you have a bunch of other shit you do on your own, too. Like, you live you live with comedians, correct? And you guys do The Rabbit Hole. Yeah. Um, which is a backyard show. 
Um, it's a basement show usually, but uh, because of COVID, it became a backyard show, which in the summertime makes more sense to make it as like a backyard show. Yeah, yeah. So, and that actually was, the ones we've done are actually been really fun. So, we plan to, or I'm not even going to say plan, we want to do backyard shows as things uh, warm up a little bit more. Just because people aren't fully vaccinated yet, we uh, I think we're still going to keep it just... Uh, outside instead of in the basement mm-hmm. just for safety's sake but we definitely want to do more of those hell yeah and you live with tanner oliver and eric, eric Lauks. Lauks. yeah lauks lauks you say the x yeah or do you just say the x uh <laughs> roger who runs the ann arbor comedy showcase says lauks every single time and eric so confirms it as being correct oh. I, I, so i guess just nobody else like pronounces it correctly yeah i always say lao because i assume the x is silent i don't think yeah i just don't think eric cares so (laughs) um and is so is the ann arbor comedy showcase is it saved did we save it um because it was there was a period of time where there was a gofundme for the ann arbor comedy showcase yeah uh there was like a nine ten month nine or ten month period where they were making no money and they were they didn't want to ask people for money. Yeah. So when they realized like, all right, now we have to, that's when they put it out. And uh they didn't reach twenty five thousand. I think they're at like twenty two K, but like all of their shows have been consistent. Yeah. And if they're not sold out, they're nearly for the most part. So I think they're on the right track. And I don't know if they're gonna uh because business usually slows down in the summertime. I think that's when they're going to start using the uh, GoFundMe money to take yeah, care of those well, issues. I will link that in the show notes so that if anyone wants to donate to the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase, that'd be great so we can all keep doing comedy there. Thank you. Um, uh, is that – what other shows – is that all you – you have Rabbit Hole and you do stuff at the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase? I literally – like in terms of shows I produce, like Rabbit Hole is Eric's baby because that's his house. I just pay rent to live there. <laughs> uh, he yes. books it. He'll periodically ask for like comics to book. But I, I generally, it's like, dude, that's your show. You put whoever you want, whoever you want in your house. That's not for me to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just, I produce Comedy Rumble, and then I just, if people have any questions about how to get into one of the major clubs, I just try to be that guy. But I also, I don't try to get them in. I just tell them everything they need to do to get in. Yeah. And I'll. Like half those people do it, and then half the people say something stupid, like "that's dumb" or "I shouldn't have to do that." So I tell them to fuck off. Yeah, that's one thing that I did realize during. I mean, I know comedians are like entitled um, assholes most of the time, but when I was like booking that Ellison show and I like put it on MCN, like being like submissions are open for if anyone wants to be on the lineup, and it filled up quick. And then when I was telling people that it was full, they were such assholes about it. They're like, "Really? There's not a spot?" Like, and I was like. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've just learned to. Uh, that's the only part I, I uh, don't like about running shows is dealing with comedians all of the time. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, especially like with Rumble because I get I'm very picky and choosy about who I put on it. Mm-hmm. Without going into like finer details, it is like a case of just like okay, I want good comics. I want to get new people on from time to time. Uh, oh, these two comics don't like each other? Well, f- 
what the fuck? What am I supposed to? And then, you yeah. know, it's just this constant back and forth messaging. It's just like, oh, you're not, you have beef with this comic or this dude's being weird or this girl is like cheated on you. And uh, it, it's just never ending that kind of shit. Shit that people literally can't leave at the door. Like It's yeah. It's like, I mean, like some of it is like safety sake. Again, I'm not going to go into finer details, that kind of shit. That's yeah. That's not, that's neither here nor there, but you know, when you break it all down, it's just people just, yeah, like not taking two seconds to be adults and trying to like problem solve or, uh, you know, realize that you don't get stage time just because you asked for it. Yeah. So There's I don't a lot know of that too. A lot of personal messages to my, like a lot of personal DMS and I'm like, there's, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You got to go through the right avenue. Uh, but hopefully I can get that back. I don't know. I have been fucking anxious about it just because Ben's leaving. And I just I don't understand how people run shows every week. And they're not. I don't know why I have this thing around it where I'm like so anxious about it. But it's like also the thing that you were talking about, about, you know, like uh, how sometimes people, for whatever reason, you know, they like to say the same things at the same mic like every week and stuff. And I'm just like, fuck, I'm, I don't want to be that person at my own open mic. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, especially with this place, like. There is a sense of comfort because, like, my roommate works at Allison, the brewery that I, like, that they're letting me host the mic out of. Um, and the reason it's not going right now is because they're currently, like, undergoing construction for, like, a new location in Rio Town, which has, like, a better room for it. So okay. I'm kind of waiting on that. But I am nervous about it. But uh, there's a lot of regulars there. So I'm, like, they know who I am. And, like, that's comforting. But at the same time, I'm just, like, what kind of, like, the same thing about, like, the audience and i'm like are these people gonna laugh because they just know that i'm elena tori's roommate that's here all the time or like you know i don't know i just have like weird anxieties around it that i need to get over but i i, I don't know i'm i can't believe like and that's why i can't believe that all of these like new people that just started are like yeah i have an open mic i'm like how do you guys how can you handle this and i like fucking can't handle it like i can't even handle thinking about it um so do you actually host every week or do you alternate um well me and ben were gonna alternate the thing about it is that we were only able to like we did one show uh november 15th and literally during our sets we like stopped doing the show to sit and watch like gretchen whitmer's like conference and it was like the next day everything was going to be shut down sort of thing so like we had like four or five shows planned for the rest of the year and they all got canceled um and now i'm just you know, kind of waiting on this new room or whatever. Okay. But Ben's leaving, so that's the thing, is that Ben lives in Connecticut, and yeah. he's going. He's only here for school, so he's going back, and so it'll be okay. me and whatever salsa parlor boy I decide to... <laughs> Wrangle up. Yeah. Uh, Probably Trevor. Okay. Yeah, one thing I've noticed, like, co-hosting shows, like, if you're worried about doing the same material every week... Uh, write more? <laughs> I mean, beyond write more, c yeah. c but realistically, some days, that's just, you're not gonna get anything yeah but if you ever find yourself in a position where you're like oh i don't have enough new material to talk about anything just alternate hosting like you would like every other week but mm -hmm. just when you're there when you're not doing a set make your other make your co-host job easier by just uh lighting comics take caring taking care of actually like running the show minus hosting it so yeah. saying hey you're up next you get uh what do you want as an intro uh, or not what do you want as an intro, but you're up next. Uh, I'm lighting you. I'll be here. All yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you could almost do that thing where you have like kind of like uh, evaluate the comic as far as just like, oh, are they writing more? Like, are they like consistent here? So that if they sign up for next month, uh, you have that gauge of like, oh, the audience likes this comic. I definitely want to bring them back. Okay, or yeah. like, 
So I definitely did that a little bit. It took me like running a few different shows that failed uh, <laughs> to like learn that. But because there was definitely weeks where I was just like saying the same things on stage and then pointing out that I was saying the same things. Yeah. And then the people that have seen me a million times are pointing out that I'm saying the same things. Yeah. And uh, that got tiresome real quick. So I would just uh, do that. And then when you do have new material or if you find yourself in a position where you're like, you know what, actually, I do want to go on stage. Yeah. As long as it's not conflicting with like time restraints or anything like that. It's your show. Do a set. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. perfect, actually. Thank you for that advice. Um, I didn't even because like I mean, like I was, you know, I was Ben hosted the first show. I was lighting comics and, you know, we I think we put together a pretty good lineup too. like not going to lie, like uh mostly for those first like few shows i booked people i knew because that's important too you know like there's a lot of times where like i don't know you know like just the ebbs and flows of a lineup and like knowing people's energy levels and like who's supposed to like go where i don't know like a lot of times like i'll be put up uh like people that don't know me i'll like go before like some like badass hilarious like like uh like black dude and he's got like so much energy then i get up there and i'm like uh <laughs> like <laughs> i shouldn't be in this spot right here but this is fine so i try not to do that to other people um but i uh but yeah i i, I need to get on that because that's like at this point like the next step for me i guess like i want to be able to be like everyone's like oh i don't want to host and i'm like oh i'm comfortable hosting i'll host this show for mark norman someday you know what i mean like yeah so it's just a, bu a bunch of mental blocks that i'm currently trying to get over um what is your uh zach told me you would like this question what is your uh favorite and least favorite things about comedy that you've found um over the years uh my favorite thing about comedy is uh hmm. favorite and least favorite thing about my favorite thing about comedy is comedy my least favorite <laughs> thing about comedy is comedians okay <laughs> uh i love everything about stand-up uh comedians not as like i'm not trying to generalize but i just i've noticed uh especially now because so many there's so many comedians uh it's a popular thing to be it's a popular thing to be you can blame podcasts or whatever joe on rogan. that i mean joe rogan yeah definitely there's definitely an effect there but there's also that's why i'm a comedian <laughs> i heard him talking to nikki glazer on on his podcast and i was like i could do this oh nice yeah <laughs> i mean if it works it works i mean i listen yeah. i started listening to him like while i was in high school so yeah. i get it <laughs> but uh no it's just like more often than not the thing i hate the most about it is like comedians is not because they're all bad people i mean there's going to be bad people in any aspect of life but i don't know comedians now have this weird sense of like uh what's the word i'm looking for here uh everything is either good or bad there's no room for nuance anymore yeah and i kind of think it's it, i think it, I, I let me rephrase that it's more we're so idealistically extreme now, mm -hmm. like outside of comedy, and that's starting to translate in comedy. Yes. And that's bothering the shit out of me. me I feel that. And I can't stand it. And I'm trying to avoid it like the plague. Yeah. Yes. No, I feel that. I, I hate that, too. And I'm noticing that more and more as I get further into it. Um, just people's general... Uh, outlook on what you should and shouldn't be talking about on stage yeah and i'm just like well 
let the audience like let the audience fucking decide you know like at the end of the day um i agree with that that's something that's been bugging me too uh and it causes a lot of like drama within the comedy community as well right um just people's opinion like save your opinions for the stage and just leave them there that's like all i have to say about that save it for the stage or you know start a podcast where you can instead of us reading your tone deaf opinion on something that more often than not is just you being performative or you just virtue signaling or just being manipulative Mm -hmm. just say it on like talk about it openly on a podcast because maybe you could say the same thing but now we understand how you're saying it exactly that's that is a good thing about podcasts you have like a you have more opportunity to explain yourself yeah because there's so many people in comedy i won't name names but there's a lot of people who are like i love talking to them but then i read their social media presence and i'm like i would not hang out with you if i had only this to base it off yeah yeah but if i heard you on a podcast make this same point i'd probably be like oh maybe there's that's a little more thoughtful than what this reads as yeah so yeah i i would say yeah favorite everything else about comedy least favorite thing about comedy comedians yeah for that reason (laughs) completely agree uh what when did your infatuation with comedy like start like outside of like and like outside of like mark norman like who are like people that you uh looked up to People are going to get a kick out of this. Uh, <laughs> I started caring about stand-up when I was like 9 or 10. And my introduction to it, hilariously enough, was the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. Me too! That's great. That's so funny. My dad, like, fucking loved that shit. Yeah. So it was the mo- <laughs> it was the movies, though, that they all did together. That uh, like or the tour where it was the four of them all doing like 20 or 30 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. And the one that stuck out the most to me was probably Ron White. Yes, and he was just sitting on there with, like, a glass of scotch, like, sitting in, like, a fucking armchair. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. And uh, <laughs> here's the thing. I didn't fully get all of the jokes. Not because, like, they were, like, complicated or, like, the, they were pretty dumbed down, so. He's a simple man, yes. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, <laughs> like, those four guys in general. Yeah, like, yeah. Their material is not exactly, you know, faux-sisticated. <laughs> uh, but, uh. I just remember there was I understood just enough that I was like, oh, that looks fun. And also they something that I noticed they were doing a lot during comedy specials was cutting to audience reactions. Yeah. Which I hate now. But (laughs) seeing that then especially was, uh, you know, it was interesting to get both sides of it. And then from there, I like a lot of people, I was on, you know, LimeWire or whatever the fuck. (laughs) Yeah. And uh and then I just found out Dane Cook existed, and that <laughs> and that took over my life for like two years, just because his bits and people people rip on Dane Cook, but man, when you're 12 years old, the BK Lounge, uh, <laughs> just some of those bits they still hold up. They're so silly and stupid. Yeah. But uh, I remember I got really big because that was around like 2005, 2006 when Dane Cook like really blew it's up. Big, yeah. Yeah, and he started doing movies and everything. And then from there, I think I found out about Mitch Hedberg just through, like, you know, uh, you watch one thing about Dane, and then in, like, a related search, Mitch Hedberg comes up, and then Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, these are actual jokes, like setups and punchlines and just, like, right to the point. And then, you know, I from there just kind of went down a rabbit hole and just started finding out about new people, like 
Dimitri Martin, Greg Giraldo, RIP. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started watching uh, Comedy Central Presents because Comedy Central Presents used to be on uh, um, Netflix when they were in the DVD era. Okay. So, and I think that was like early streaming days where you could actually watch all of the Comedy Central Presents. So I just remember, you know, taking a whole weekend watching pretty much all of those. And uh, I just started finding out more and more about comics as like things like podcasts started becoming a regular thing. Doug Loves Movies would have four comics on a week, it seemed like. Okay. So and you got into podcasts. Did you, would you say you got into podcasts when they were like s- first starting? Oh, yeah. No, I, I've seen like early Joe Rogan podcasts where it, he was doing it on like an iCam web camera. Wow. Or like a, yeah, like an and iMac that was like web new camera. for you. That was like a, the new podcast for the week that you were listening yeah. to. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I don't even. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, And yeah, I had the same sort of, I, I feel weird because everyone I talk, every comic I ask this question for, you know, like, how did you get into comedy? They're always like, oh, when I was nine, I saw this. And then it like was like my life for like the rest of like time or whatever. Um, And I didn't really like have that until I like literally I was like 20 years old listened to a Joe Rogan podcast and then like by the time I was like 22 I was like I think I'll get on stage um but I had like the same thing where it's like the blue collar comedy tour uh which I really liked I liked Larry the Cable Guy a lot because I was just a stupid kid um (laughs) we were all stupid (laughs) we were all stupid kids uh but another one that I would watch this was like a sleepover special like uh whose line is it anyway like me and my friends would just watch that to like stay up all night or whatever um (laughs) <laughs> and like and that's it that's it and then joe rogan and then now i'm doing comedy uh so it makes me feel like a bit of a fraud but you know i think we're all kind of frauds in that regard <laughs> like everybody started like everybody's favorite comic when they first started was not george carlin it was always some hacky sort of mainstream guy yeah but that's what you need that's how you figure out who these like you know people on the rise are it's not it's not nobody's first favorite comic is you know, me or you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's always someone they saw on TV yes. in a movie or somebody their parents watched or whatever. Yeah. It's never, it's always like Jeff Dunham or something. Yeah. You know? no, <laughs> no disrespecting Jeff Dunham, but. He's the puppet guy, right? Yeah, he's yeah. the puppet guy. I remember, my dad also liked Jeff Dunham, so I did watch a little bit of that. But yeah, same. <laughs> but no, mostly, yeah, we didn't have a real comedy house. I guess it was just more of like a, like we didn't watch a lot of comedy, uh, like stand up. Like we watched comedy, like movies and shit. But it was mostly just like my dad was an angry man, and so if we could make him laugh, he wasn't yelling. And like, oh, that's that's fun. where it kind of comes from, I think, a yeah. little bit. My dad had PTSD. He wasn't a violent dad, but if he was angry, he, he would tell you. Yeah. So yeah. any excuse to get him to laugh was always fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, for real. Yeah, my dad was. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with him. He won't go to the doctor for anything. You don't know why he's angry? <laughs> no. That's... Uh, I, I Well, according to him, it's because of all of us. But... Um, Jeez. <laughs> not so much anymore, but just growing up. Uh, he had that weird, like, place in my life where he was, like, both the villain and the hero, depending on the situation. And right. He could be the protagonist or the antagonist. Um, but, uh, but no, he was just... Uh, he very much liked things his way. <laughs> and that's just kind of how it was. But uh, but no, nothing like I don't know. Now I feel like I need to pr- now I feel like I need to clarify and say my dad was not an abusive father. You know, he wasn't like violent or anything like that. But same thing like you were saying, like when he when he is mad, you fucking know it. Yeah. And uh, 
yeah, that definitely has an effect on the rest of my life. But <laughs> I don't know. We do not have to get into our families at all. I was just going to say is like, yeah, my dad was also not an abusive father. Just making that clear. <laughs> uh, definitely uh, probably had kids too soon because he was still figuring himself out. I he, My dad had me and my older brother in the my mom and dad got married in like their early 20s and then started just pumping out kids like once a year every year for like six years it felt like oh my gosh how many s- you have what like oh, I'm, five sorry. Other siblings? I'm sorry i i'm the second oldest of four boys but okay. I, I, it's like uh my brother was born december 91 i was born in january 93 uh my next brother was born november 95 okay and then my youngest brother was born night august 99 so, like, the first three kids, it kind of was just, like, pumping one right out after the other mm-hmm. and very little break in between. Yeah. They were just kind of like, well, if we're going to have kids, let's get them all out now. So, you know, when they graduate high school, we can, we're can we still here, yeah. I guess, is their logic. So, you have young parents then. Yeah. My parents, I think, both just turned 50 last year. Okay. We got, like, our parents are about the same age. My mom is 49, turning 50, and my dad's, like, 47. Okay. How old are you? I'm 24. So my mom was 25 when I was born, and my dad was, like, 23. Are you of the opinion that it's rude to ask a woman's age, or is that only rude if it's, like, uh, you're insecure about your age? I think it's only rude if you're insecure about your age. I've never I've never taken offense to it. I also feel like I'm a young-looking woman. Uh, so maybe if – it's definitely in, an insecurity, yeah. If you feel like you look old and someone asks you your age, it might be a trigger. I mean, if you're at, like, a college party, it might be good to ask someone's age. You definitely People. should because I was uh, – 16 years old up in there like all in college parties dude just because i could drive yeah dude that's that kind of shit scares the fuck out of me yeah like, like i lost my virginity to a, a dude in college yeah. you know like Th- the thing <laughs> about it too is the legality is 100 percent there no yeah. yeah yeah but the thing is he probably was just like i guarantee you and this is not like a knock but like <laughs> he probably was just like oh she's just some dumbass college girl exactly yeah. exactly uh but that's yeah, that's the thing. It's like you should be asking for women's ages. Yeah, <laughs> but for here's sure. what's which is sad because that guy probably just assumed it's like, oh, if she's at a college party, she must go to college. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But I don't. I like see that now too. Like I'll like be at the bar and I'll see people that I know, like because I have a little brother, and I'll see people that I know were like younger than him, and I'm like, underage? How did you even get in here? Like I couldn't even dream of it. Like at like 18 using like going to a college party is one thing because you can just drive yourself there and show up with a bottle of booze and they assume you're like a freshman or something yeah but like when you're like in harper's and you're 19 years old like i can't even imagine like at 19 i looked 14 like i i do you think that's a blonde people thing maybe you look kind of young too how old are you you're like what 26 28 28 yeah yeah you look like you're 25 Uh, 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 half a second ago you thought i was 26 (laughs) (laughs) i like how you got more polite or you got like more uh complimentary you were like (laughs) you looked uh, once i found out you were old yeah you were like uh, what are you 26 no i'm 28 25 wow 21 okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think that is like a thin skin i don't mean thin skin is like cowardly but like thin skin blonde people i think we just always we either look 20 or 50 yeah, no, I and I also I had like a fake ID that was like fucking legit looking and everyone would be like, No, sorry. They're like, just go before I call the police. Like could never use I couldn't dr- I couldn't drink in an establishment until I was twenty one years old and that's because I have no boobs. 
That's what I think. One time they kicked me out of the hookah lounge because I forgot my ID. I was like, I have tattoos and my nipples pierced. Like, there's no way I'm not 18. You know, there's no way I can't be in here. Yeah, the sad part <laughs> is you're like, okay, here are the tattoos. There's something else I could prove it to you with, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. yeah. You're like, you think my mom would sign off on all of this? She hates this. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's just the question at the door. It's like, do you hate your parents? Yeah. <laughs> they see the tattoos and they're like, well, how's the relationship with your mom, though? Yeah. <laughs> Can you call her? Yeah. <laughs> Put her on the phone. <laughs> no, uh, back to the, uh, yeah, no, I was just going to say is like uh, my brothers, uh, they were just like pumping out kids left and right. Yeah. And my dad just got out of the military. So I think in his brain, he he had PTSD that he wasn't dealing with. Uh, he had PTSD from he was a Navy SEAL. Okay. So oh fuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he probably uh just like had all this PTSD and his way of separating himself from that those experiences probably was to just pump out as many kids as he could. Yeah. But the problem was, uh, he was trying to be a good dad, but still I guess working on himself, but didn't quite know how because he was busy taking care of kids yeah so like when he would get angry he's just like oh shit it's scaring my kids what do i do yeah, yeah. like he's not be he's not abusing us or anything he's just like violently angry and doesn't know what to do yeah and i'm like well i'm six i don't know how yeah, to help you no exactly my dad would do the same thing where it's like he'd just be like like the house wouldn't be clean and it would set him off and so like he'd spend the next hour like vacuuming but like running the vacuum into the doors and like throwing the dishes into the dishwasher and stuff like that and he listens to this podcast so so sorry dad for outing you <laughs> but i love him i have uh uh relentless i have to have relentless forgiveness for my parents because i think about it and i'm like if i had a kid at 23 it'd be pretty fucked up yeah <laughs> like, you were 23 when uh, or your parents were 23 when they had you yeah my dad was 23 when he had me and i'm like that'd be like me having a one-year-old kid right now and that would not be good yeah my parents were 23 when they had me Hilarious. yeah, yeah. <laughs> telling you man blonde people thin blonde skin people. blonde people you did gymnastics too right we got a lot in common yeah were you molested uh, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh in adulthood i've been uh oh no uh no that's that's neither here nor there <laughs> it's it's no it's just so funny it's neither here nor there no 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 put it to you this way it's just funny the people like women who are so vocal about that kind of shit online are like usually the people who are like doing that to dudes yeah so yeah. i i i'm i take most things like that with a fucking grain of salt because of it yeah but yeah. no i uh i did gymnastics the end of high school through or the end of middle school through about half of high school Okay. Did you like that? Or I was that something kind of imposed upon you? Uh, it was more of a hobby. I was a wrestling fan and I was like, I want to do those cool flips that they do. So <laughs> I was like, how do I, how do I do that? So I wasn't good at like team sports. I just didn't like having to work with people, so to speak, very yeah. mu like very much, but like gymnastics, it was like, oh, I can kind of just do whatever I want. So there's a good balance of that in gymnastics too, where it's like, it's a team sport in terms of like your scores matter for your team, but it's a very individual sport because you're the only one performing at any given time. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I never did it like competitively or anything. It was always just a hobby, but like recreational yeah, 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 classes. Yeah. 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 That's kind of how I did it too. I mean, uh, I, the real like 
acrobatic shit that I could do is like all from like the competitive cheerleading that I did afterwards. Yeah. But um, can you still do a lot of that stuff? Yeah, I can still. I like fucking. I'll just whip out a back tuck from time to time just to make sure that I have it. Like. Like that's just like a standing backflip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. just a standing backflip. Um, I like that how you did gymnastics and you called it a backflip. No, I uh, here's the thing. <laughs> I know it's called a back tuck, but I also didn't want to sound like smarter than I am and just agree with you. I wanted to confirm. Yeah, it. yeah. No, there's no twisting. Just a standing yeah, yeah. backflip. Uh, but yeah, I do stuff like that from time to time just to make sure I still have it because it was my identity for so fucking long for like all of high school and like out of high school. Like, cheer was my comedy. And which is probably why I cling to comedy so hard is because I need like, something other than just myself to be fair. <laughs> yeah. No, that was me with, uh, I mean, comedy, I had always liked it, but it, uh, it never struck me as like a career option until adulthood. But like, like that, that was me with like wrestling. Yeah. Like, it was like that one weird special interest I had that no one else could relate to. So I was like, Oh, I can just enjoy this myself. I don't have to, I guess, uh, share it with people not like share share it but it's just like i'm gonna keep this to myself yeah and i'm just gonna enjoy it and you're talking about like wwe wrestling yeah not that not that f stupid the fake shit yeah that fake amateur bullshit <laughs> did you ever have and, and that, that is funny you're like i loved i loved wrestling so i decided to go into gymnastics because i wanted to be able to do the flips that they could do yeah and there was like a whole ass wrestling team but you're like ah, that's not the same thing yeah it's not <laughs> I I, I was on the wrestling team for a year. No shit. Yeah, there was a year of my life that I really needed my dad to love me uh, <laughs> more than my brother, so I joined the wrestling team. Uh, yeah, usually people's parents say like, "Okay, go to college, become a doctor." That's yeah, that's what my <laughs> that's what my family was hoping I'd do, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, have you seen my GPA? It's not that impressive." Yeah, yeah. No, my dad never had any. My dad was just like, "Find a good husband." Um, <laughs> Uh, he knew that we weren't really going anywhere. My brother's a welder. Uh, my brother's a welder, and I have like some sort of mood disorder. So they did well. Uh, but you have a mood <laughs> disorder? I don't know if that's true or not. I'm I'm looking into it. Uh, the problem is that I see a therapist right now, and not like a psychiatrist or like a psychologist. Seeing a therapist is not a problem. <laughs> uh, it's not. It's not a problem. But it's. Uh, it was the way you worded it. Yeah. I had to point it yeah. Out. No, seeing a therapist is good, and everybody should do it. And I like my therapist. Like I like talking to her and everything. But she's just like whenever I like bring up like hey like this is freaking me out about myself, you know, or whatever. She's just like, well, I'm not here to diagnose you. I'm just here to, like, help you, like, like figure out how to work through it, I guess. Um, but, no, my mom has bipolar, um, and so I think some of that kind of trickled down. Okay. me a little bit. But, but uh, disrespectful to say you have something if you don't, because being diagnosed with anything is kind of a privilege with the healthcare system that we currently yeah, have. Yeah, I mean... You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, important, so... Yeah, yeah no, 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 I, I agree, too. Uh, I would say, for the most part, I agree. Yeah. Because, like, I understand, like, some people, s like, are... They don't like when people self-diagnose, but yeah. understandably, because the healthcare system is so fucked, some people have to do so much of their own research. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't... I don't I don't not going to deny people and say like no you don't have blank. Yeah. Cuz realistically a lot of these disorders, you know, they're broad spectrum so to speak, but mm -hmm. you know, I think um if you have the resources to get di a diagnosis then do it, but like, you know, if for now all you can do is trust uh, your own research, then yeah, if, I mean at least you're making an effort to like learn about yourself and improve i guess yeah yeah um definitely uh but like i see it 
I see why people get mad about it. Because, like, I'm on TikTok, so I see the romanticization. The romanticization. Like, I said that wrong both times, but it doesn't matter. Of, like, mental illness and, like, I, on TikTok, you're not really worth a lot on TikTok unless you got something wrong with you. And, like, the worse it is, the better. You know, the more clout you get, the more people follow you. Um, so I see it in that regard where, it, like, it, it is, it's dangerous, but at the same time, like you're saying, I agree with you, where it's, like, you can do your own amount of research and, like, find things that fit. And, like, you uh, can develop coping mechanisms for those things, even if it's not bipolar related, you know? Yeah. Um, I still have found this fucking breathing exercise on youtube that helps me get out of whatever i'm in you know um, yeah whether it's bipolar or not but i do need to get on that because i'm 24 turning 25 this year so should figure out all of my medical shit in the next year uh before i don't have health insurance anymore yeah no that that's the one thing in hindsight i wish i was able to figure out much sooner yeah just uh like all right let's figure out everything that's wrong f- with me while it's on someone else's dime Yes, exactly. So. I also wish I would have hit more people before I turned 18. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I before wish I... Before, like, assault charges were, like, so commonplace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, well, I mean, we can end on that if you want. It's been 53 <laughs> minutes. I've, I've yeah, kept we, you here. we can end on we that. I wish I could assault more people before age 18. <laughs> But no, uh, thank you for coming here. Uh, I'll record a separate intro and I will uh, plug the uh, You don't the have to plug anything. <laughs> I'll plug your social medias, which are non-existent. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I, I don't need people to be checking me out on social media. If anything, just listen to this podcast, I guess. Yeah, listen to it again. Yeah, listen to this over and over again until she's in the top 100 on uh, That'd be Spotify. Dope. That'd be so dope. <laughs> uh, I will say one thing, though. Uh, you sent me a message after uh, I did Carl's podcast. Yes. And uh, I was in a very bad funk. Uh-huh. Like, when I was, re- not re- necessarily when I was recording it, but I was just so antisocial and just so depressed. Yeah. And was like, uh, I don't know how to talk to people or anything. And then I recorded it, and then you sent me this really nice message, and I was like, oh, I feel good uh-huh. just for, like, once in a hot minute. Wow, so I, I'm I, so happy that made no, you feel good. No, it was very nice, and that was part of the reason I made the effort to start like listening to your podcast. Because I listened you. to a few episodes, but I actually was like, you know what? If people are taking an interest in my life, I should try to do that more. Yeah. Especially now while we're all just kind of sitting around, I guess. Exactly. And so. Dude, I appreciate that. And I meant everything that I said on the message, Um, and I appreciate you coming out here and recording with me because it's, it's nerve-wracking to... Uh, it's nerve-wracking to have guests on the podcast because I want to, um, I want to have cool people that I admire on, but I don't want to bug them for to come to my house. <laughs> you know, and yeah. all that. So. No, uh, you were very nice to me, and not really. You were nice to me in a way that didn't feel like blowing smoke up my ass, and it was very just uh, refreshing. And I've also I listened to your episode you did with Louie, and uh, I saw that you're more of a critical thinker than you are just kind of a clout chaser in terms of your opinions. Well, thank and you. And that that means more to me, like as like a peer, than I guess uh, than trying to do something just because a hundred people said this is the better opinion to have. So I I I value people like that. Well, quite thank a bit. you very much. That's yeah. like one of the things. It's hard to value it in myself sometimes you know what i mean when you get the like backlash which i haven't gotten a lot of but i'm waiting for it <laughs> yeah but uh thank you for being here thank you for being so kind about me and my podcast i appreciate it a lot of course
Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs> Which I thought was adorable and hilarious that someone even, like, listened to this in the first place and then, like, went out of their way to, like, ask when the next one was coming out. And I was like, I was like, and Piggy doesn't just let you use their restroom for free. You have to buy something. That's my sweet. And it's sacky. Uh, you should get your head checked out because this shit is not funny.